Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Black people have a, quote, Negro disease, making them insensible to pain when subjected to punishment, end quote. This absurdity, along with many others, was stated as truth from one Samuel Cartwright, a prominent physician in the 1800s, charged with, quote, investigating the diseases and physical peculiarities of the Negro race, end quote. Upon learning how dated these bogus quasi-scientific conclusions are, you may find yourself relieved that the days that these sentiments were prominent in the medical field are long gone. If only it were that simple. The COVID-19 pandemic once again forced the healthcare industry to grapple with the fact that in the medical field, outcomes are often shaped by race. A 2020 study published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine found that black people were over three and a half times likely to die from COVID-19 than white people. This statistic in and of itself is incredibly alarming, but unfortunately, it's only the tip of the iceberg. According to the Population Reference Bureau, Black women are over three times more likely to die in pregnancy or postpartum than white women, and Black women are five times more likely to die from pregnancy-related cardiomyopathy or blood pressure disorders than white women. A previous study from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences also found that 40% of medical students wrongly believe that Black people have a higher pain tolerance than white people. Of all the participants, 73% held at least one false belief about the biological differences between races. And lastly, a study from Frontiers in Pediatrics showed that doctors in emergency departments were less likely to, one, classify Black and Latino children as requiring emergency care compared to white or Asian children, two, admit Black or Latino children to hospitals after visiting the ED, or three, order blood tests, CT scans, or x-rays for Black, Latino, or Asian children compared to white children. These are just a few of the alarming statistics that warrant further examination. To help us explore these disparities in depth, I have today's guest and associate professor and director of the MPH program at HBCU Meharry Medical College, Dr. Leah Alexander with us. This is our daily story, and I am your host, Ramses Ja. So welcome, Dr. Alexander. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you being here with us. So many Black women have stated that they feel unheard by medical professionals when reporting pain, sickness, or discomfort. What can Black people do to ensure their medical concerns are addressed fully and fairly? Thank you for that question. It brings to mind a quote um, from Zora Neale Hurston, Black women are the mules of the world. And if you look at statistics, it's troublesome to think about all of the disparities that are present, specifically with African-American women, but also Black people in general. Sure. Um, I think when we're interacting with the, with the healthcare system, we have to be mindful of who's providing care. And that's not to say that, you know, we should only seek care or be treated by people that look like us, but we right. certainly need to receive care from people that, that understand cultural competence, understand social determinants of health and how those come into play, um, understand that, you know, underserved and undersourced populations, you know, are sometimes nervous about interacting with the healthcare system. 
We need to educate ourselves. We need to start earlier teaching our children how to be advocates for themselves, you know, when they're receiving health care. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's it's been reported that black and brown people tend to have lower rates of medical insurance coverage when compared to whites. Is there a meaningful connection between insurance and medical treatment that could explain why healthcare outcomes tend to be different along racial lines? Sure. I mean, if we think about who has health insurance, for most of us, we get it because we're employed somewhere that offers us health insurance. Sure, right? that makes sense. Um, and if we think about, you know, black and brown folks, unfortunately, sometimes we're in jobs where, you know, affordable health care is not offered. If you have insurance, that's going to increase the likelihood that you will actually engage in the healthcare system. But even for others who have health insurance, it still can be expensive. And if you think about what it costs for co-pays or thinking about what we may be responsible for paying out of pocket, um, oftentimes people don't have the income to be able to afford health care. So insurance is a no-brainer. And it's really unfortunate that we haven't gotten to a point in this country where we have universal health care because that would e- at least eliminate part of the trouble. One of the things that we talk about in public health, though, is you know improving access to care. So insurance will do that. But also care has to be acceptable and appropriate for folks, right? right? So just because we build it you know, doesn't mean that people will come. Right. So we have to think about other issues that may be at play. Trust is a really important thing for us to consider when folks are interacting with the healthcare system. Um, and oftentimes trust isn't there. That keeps people away, even folks that have insurance sometimes. Sure, sure. In discussing COVID-19, what are some of the suggested reasons that the death rate is so much higher for black people than for white people? Yeah, thank you for that question. So I think um, one of the things that we're we're learning is the issue with black and brown people having so many comorbidities, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you have other health issues that you're dealing with, that will exacerbate COVID-19 virus and you're just not able to do well. So sense. if we look at statistics, you know, diabetes. Um, overweight in our population, um, we just we just not going to do it. We're at increased risk because okay. we have other health issues that we're dealing with, and unfortunately, COVID um, has really sort of heightened issues around social determinants of health. Um, it's in um, issues with access again, issues with um, folks having trust and believing the messages that have been out. But then there's also confusion around messages related to COVID-19. So even in instances where, you know, people want to make the best choice for themselves, you know, if we think about how do folks make a decision about having the vaccine, are they learning what they need to know from trusted messengers in order to make the best decision for themselves. So it's really, you know, a complex issue. And unfortunately, COVID-19 has also sort of highlighted the weaknesses in public health infrastructure that's sort of been politicized too. So once you add all of that, I mean, it's just really been a perfect storm for disaster, unfortunately. I mean, when you think about 
populations that are under-resourced and underserved to begin with, and then you add something like COVID-19, um, it's just going to be a disaster. That's heavy. It's, it's unfortunate. We have um, done a little bit of qualitative research, particularly with African-Americans. So we've highlighted students, we've interviewed frontline workers, we've interviewed parents, um, and we've interviewed individuals with comorbidities just to try to understand, you know, their experiences sort of early on in the pandemic. And you know, even though those groups are quite different, a lot of the same themes, you know, were coming through our interviews. People not being prepared, you know, for something like COVID. We talk a lot about, you know, emergency preparedness. So that is a thing, but it's also a luxury, I think, for people who are sometimes making it day to day. We don't have the luxury to stockpile or be prepared or, you know, have a plan. And COVID-19, it just just upended everything for so many of us, I think. Sure. Understood. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-I-N. With us today discussing the disparities in healthcare for Black Americans is the Associate Professor and Director of the MPH Program at HBCU, Meharry Medical College, Dr. Leah Alexander. So the other side of this coin, as you mentioned, is a lack of trust in the healthcare industry from Black people. Let's discuss the, the potential sources of this lack of trust and how we can address it. And I guess another question would be, does Black representation in the medical field make a difference? Trust is tricky, right? Because it develops out of a relationship and it takes time. Okay. And so oftentimes when we're engaging with a medical system, we don't have that luxury of time to really build these trustful relationships with our providers. Um, I think that representation is very important. I mean, I work at Meharry. We train, you know, a large percentage of African-American healthcare providers. So it, it makes a difference. But any healthcare provider, public health practitioner that takes the time to become culturally competent and learn about the population that they want to serve Mm. can engender trust, right? It's a privilege to be able to build trust with folks. 
Um, But it takes time. It takes time. And people have to behave in trustworthy ways in order to be trusted. So you need that history, that time. You need to show yourself trustworthy. So, so yeah. And then there's some examples um, in the relationship that the healthcare industry has had with Black people over the course of this country that has, I believe, in some meaningful way contributed to sort of a lack of trust absolutely. from Black people into the healthcare industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can... You know, we can talk about the United States Public Health Service study of syphilis at Tuskegee, right? Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to say the Tuskegee syphilis study. We need to kind of give it context to, so that we're clear, you know, where that study came from. So starting with that, but there are instances even before that. Harriet Washington has a wonderful book that we cover with our students called Medical Apartheid that really sort of lays out a lot of those atrocities in the name of research that have taken place at the expense of Black people. And what I found is, because I'm sometimes I'm in groups and people will say, oh, well, you know, that was such a long time ago. That's still not impacting what the problem is. That's not the issue. It's not the Tuskegee study any longer. But again, this is just my opinion. It is. Because even if you don't know all of the details about that particular research study, it's enough of a stream, I think, in our community that even if you don't know all the details, we weren't there, but it's enough to make you not trust, to make you believe that folks don't have your best interest at heart. And so it makes it very difficult. And then when we think about what happens when trust is broken, because like you said, there's so many examples historically and even now today. And once trust is broken, many folks don't have the wherewithal. Many organizations don't have the wherewithal to do what you need to do to rebuild that trust. Right. So now let's talk about Black representation. How, do you feel like Black representation in the medical field makes a difference toward this end? Oh, absolutely. I mean, okay. we we have to have more people of color working in the field, and that's as physicians, dentists. You know, we need more people of color working in public health. So, of course, we absolutely need that. And if you think about sort of medical education in and of itself, it's sort of designed to keep people from having a seat at the table, from the MCAT to the DAT, some of those high stakes exams that are supposed to be the GRE even for students in graduate school. Those exams are supposed to be a indication of your ability to be successful in this career. And we know that that isn't always the case. Sometimes with standardized tests, our students may not do as well. But that doesn't mean that they can't be successful in the career. So, you know, am I saying throw out all standardized exams? That's not what I'm saying. But we just know that they have been used to keep us from having access. Sure, sure. Now, now speaking of, of students in general, an article featured on AAMC.org states the following. Quote, black people's nerve endings are less sensitive than white people's. Black people's skin is thicker than white people's. Black people's blood coagulates more quickly than white people's. End quote. 
This same article goes on to suggest that these are some of the myths that may still exist among residents and medical students, according to recent reports. Where do these beliefs originate? And why do you think they're still so prevalent in the medical field? Yeah, so they really, it's, it's, it all goes back to racism. And okay. it originates from the powers during slavery and how they tried to sort of reconcile how they were treating Black bodies. Sure. sure. Right? But it sort, of, it sort of doesn't make sense in one instance because the black body is is strong and can withstand pain and can work hard but then you know so we're superior in that manner but then we're inferior you know and we have limited education mm. you know so but that's i think where it started why it continues and so i should put a pin right here not among mahari residents and medical students. I'm sure, sure. Absolutely. Say it. <laughs> say that, you know, that. Um, not in the not in the students that we train. Right. But I think it persists in some instances because folks don't break bread, sit down, learn about these populations. It would be really easy for me to understand how you might come to the table with some sort of wacky bias when you really haven't built a relationship with anybody that is representing that, that population. So that's where cultural competency becomes so important. But it's beyond, I think, learning about a culture. It's really immersing yourself in the culture and trying to build relationships with people from that culture. And, but it, it still persists today. I was at the doctor's office earlier this week getting blood drawn and the lady was having a difficult time. And she said, oh, you must have a high tolerance for pain. And I caught myself. I was about to say, yeah, I probably do, blah, blah, blah. But I really had to catch myself because I was like, this is kind of perpetuating some of that same stuff. Right. So there are certain diseases that disproportionately affect Black people. Let's, let's speak to some of the healthcare industry's efforts or lack thereof to develop treatments and cures for these? Sure. So there are disparities across the board, and I really can only speak to some of my work. I'm a community-engaged researcher, and so that means that I always want to try to partner with community to come up with questions and research projects that are going to be responsive to the needs of the community. So there's a significant push, I think, in the field of research for community-engaged approaches with the understanding that the solutions to a lot of these problems that we're dealing with are going to be found in partnership with the community. Some of my projects, I do research in HIV, and so particularly focusing on HIV and African-American women. So what we know, and when we look at the statistics um, around new cases, nearly 60% of new HIV cases are found in African-American women, right? And so what are some of the things that are being put in place to sort of address this? There's a lot of research, but also trying to understand how African-American women or how Black women are making decisions about, say, PrEP, right? PrEP is a medication that you know, if you're at high risk for HIV, you can take, it's a daily pill. 
and it will decrease the likelihood that you will get HIV if you're exposed. Well, for a time there, nobody was really thinking about African-American women and you know how they might make decisions about PrEP or whether or not it was going to be a treatment that was acceptable to them, because that's the other thing. Okay. You know, but there's a lot of research within that field to now extend that medication to a population that we know is at risk. So I would say research. The strides that we see being made in research and initiatives being put in place to really address disparities. And then other things I would talk about, while maybe not the healthcare system per se, but you know, thinking about some of the programs that I've been directly involved with, with in my role at Meharry, um, we have HBCU Wellness Project. And so that partners with HBCUs, and we train college students to become um, student health ambassadors. And so they come to Meharry for a time, learn a little bit about public health and ways to do health promotion, health communication in their communities, and then they return home. We have a lot of programs bringing people to our campus, young folks to our campus, to learn about ways to be more impactful at home. Okay, very good. So if people have any questions that lie beyond the scope of this interview, how can folks get in contact with you to ask those questions? Uh, Thanks for asking. I I think the easiest way to reach me would be my uh, email address, and it's lalexander at mmc.edu. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your insight. Uh, Once again, today's guest is the Associate Professor and Director of the MPH Program at HBCU Meharry Medical College, Dr. Leah Alexander. So uh, it's been an absolute joy. And thank you again for for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And before we go, I'll leave you with this. Black people have thick skin. The metaphor holds true largely because it has to. It is meant to illuminate our resilience as a people, not to be taken literally. For this long-held belief to still exist in the minds of many healthcare professionals is dangerous, racist, and inhuman. Furthermore, it illustrates the disconnect between those professionals committed to the Hippocratic Oath and the outcomes for their melanated patients. Black men live on average seven years less than men of other racial groups. Black men. We need to take our health seriously. We have the right and the responsibility to live long lives. To our black women who are disproportionately affected by ailments like cardiovascular disease, anemia, obesity, and more, one of the main challenges for you is the demand to be taken seriously. But to all black people hearing this message, I say, find and maintain a relationship with a healthcare professional with a degree of cultural competency And to the healthcare industry, I say, listen up. We are dying for you to hear us. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Follow us on all social media at Our Daily Story Podcast. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on Our Daily Story. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you 
and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.